0: Welcome to the Splinters podcast from the team on the bench, Community Radio's leading no holds barred Friday night sports show, available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Lord Mayor Keith Topolski. Welcome to a
1: very special edition of Splinters on <laughs> Triple H 100.1 FM, Triple HFM.com.au. You can also download us podcasts.com. Tune in, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm the Lord Mayor. We're very proud parents. Lord Mayor tonight. of Leichhardt? Yes, Lord Mayor of Leichhardt as well. Whatever you want. But we're proud parents tonight. Every one of us on the bench and on Splinters is a very proud parent tonight. Of course, our little baby is six months old. He's the song later on when we hit one year old but it's a six month birthday it's a half birthday tonight it's not an infected not an infected splinters birthday is no not an infected splinters but we're turning it over to you tonight to answer some of your questions and I tell you what the actual post that we had didn't go off but the messages we got were absolutely insane and we've had to cut a lot of them unfortunately because we just won't get around to them joining me as you've already heard he is the voice of triple H sport the Sultan Tony Hello,
2: uh, Lord Mayor Keith, and uh, it's hard to believe that uh, from the initial planning stages, here we are so many months down the track and we've kicked some goals with Splinters absolutely no doubt already. You've only got to have a look at some of the episodes and the response we've had to some of the episodes of Splinters already to see what potential is there in months and years to come.
1: Well, we've broken 100 hits on our Sydney Shield and our What Was ISP and our Canterbury Cup and got very close on some of our ice hockey content and the cricket has just gone off. And I think the that's Grimo, where The Gremo
2: Memorial Grimo Shield was has huge. gone off and the, the Gordon Women's Cricket Extra went through the roof and uh, the death of the A-grade uh, specials the last couple of weeks have also got their share of mm. of, of hits too because people care out there and people want to hear the other things in sport that the big boys couldn't be bothered to tell you.
1: Let's get stuck into it, because we are going to be running short on time. There's that much to get through. If it's going to be a dosen Topolski start, (laughs) then there's only one way to start. we got a question from Billy at Mount Coler. No, not that Billy. He lives down in the Shire. Mm. From Billy from Mount Kohler to the both of us, why do you hate referees so much? What is your personal agenda against them? And don't you realise that without referees, there's no game? I'll let you start on now, this No, look, one. I'm
2: going to start on this because, Billy, you're silly. You are a very silly Billy indeed. We don't hate referees at all. We just know what it takes and what can be possible in the art of refereeing. Keith and I both refereed the game at a reasonable level. What I mean by a reasonable level, Keith got to under I was fortunate enough to get to reserve grade. I did in under nineteen,
1: a couple of under nineteen mm. centres in Parramatta. I ran some A grade lines, and I was called up to run what is now the equivalent of a Sydney Shield line as a backup.
2: I was a referee in the old. George Took Shield and Canberra Cup and the Malonglo Shield, now Canberra Raiders Cup reserve grade competition. I got to the centre there and I also got to the centre in Western Australia as well at a reserve grade level. Was lucky enough to get to a, a WA grand final line 20 years ago when I was much younger and probably much fitter than what I am now. So I've s- seen what happens. I would We would like to think we know what it takes to read the, the art of uh, running a game of football Uh, in the centre because it's not just about the rule book it's about man management woman management player management as well the only agenda that we have is to try and better referees is to try and have a better quality of referee referee at the level that these players play at now they are very good players at Rod Massey Sydney Shield and Canterbury Cup and Queensland Cup level they are the next grade up or down, whichever way you want to look at it, from the NRL. So the next batch of referees coming through into the NRL is going to come and has come from these grades. So our agenda is the betterment of refereeing because we know that good referees do contribute to good games because we know that without good referees we don't have good football.
1: I'm, I'm not going to be quite as harsh on your question, Billy, because I can understand why it may come across that we hate referees because we are, as Tony said, the ones who are probably harsher on them than a lot of other commentators. The problem we have with refereeing is that it's no longer referred to as refereeing. They talk in the New South Wales Rugby League, and the NRL in particular, they're not referees anymore. They're game managers, and they have... KPIs, I think it was 16 to 18 penalties per game, is what was expected of them under Tony Archer. I don't know whether that's the case with Graham Annesley anymore. And you've got this interpretation and that interpretation and this has to be done and this constitutes a penalty, but that doesn't constitute a penalty. The reason guys like Greg McCallum were so good, the reason why guys like Bill Harrigan were so good, to my mind, Paul Simpkins is the best referee I've ever seen. I know Tony disagrees with me on that, but Simpkins, as far as Tony was concerned, he was up there as well. These guys didn't get their KPIs. They understood the game. They knew the game. They read the game and they went out there and let the game sort itself out. If there was a penalty to be given it was given. The KPIs these days are a problem. The attitude of you have to have a black and white interpretation is a problem because then referees will be manipulated by coaches like the Craig Bellamy's and the Wayne Bennett's who will figure out a way to get around the rule. All you have to do is let the referees officiate the game as they see fit and that will solve the problem. But before you get there you have the new New South Wales great squad and this is going to be featured more in the next question but there is still a distinct divide and I know that I went off a couple of weeks ago at Bear Park in the Canterbury Cup match between North Sydney and Western Suburbs I know I had a dog in the fight but seriously there has to be a point at which you say to a referee no more you cannot keep doing this there have been referees in the past who had shocking debuts Shane Hayne was one and he turned out great Matt Checkin was another one I saw I don't know whether I watched his debut, but I did watch one of his first five games in the NRL, took one look at him and thought, he's kidding himself. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, he's the best referee in the game now. So you do have to be patient with them. You have to give them time. But when these referees make the same mistake week in, week out, game in, game out, and it's not fixed before they go up to the next level, you're going to have to deal with it. And why is it not fixed? Because there are favourites in the system, which brings us to our next question. It
2: certainly does. One, One more point very quickly mm-hmm. before we get to that next question. Uh, And that is this. What we hate or what I hate is the fact that there are these artificial KPIs, these artificial barometers that make judgments on how a referee has gone when the only barometer of how a referee should have gone or should go in a game is how the game flows or doesn't, whether there are 25 penalties or two and whether the two teams have decided the result of the game rather than the referee because frankly our agenda is to try and get it back to the teams deciding the result rather than referees driven by unhealthy and abnormal and artificial KPIs which have nothing to do with the game itself. At
1: Parramatta, and this will be my last word on it, there was a referee that I coached alongside a particular referee who shall remain nameless. He's also in the NRL squad at the moment. He's been pocketing for Ben Cummins the last few weeks. You recognise him because he's got a name that you can't pronounce unless you're Polish like me. I saw him referee an under-17s game. I gave him an excellent overall, an E, which is the highest you can get. It's excellent, above average, yeah. above standard, standard, below standard, unsatisfactory. I gave him excellent across the board. It was a 30-28 game. He had one penalty, and that was an offside from the kickoff. Yeah. He did not give a discretionary penalty in the game, and it's the best refereeing performance by anybody I have ever seen. One penalty. That's That might be all you need. If you need to give 27 penalties and put three blokes in the bin, do it. If you yeah. only need to give one penalty, do it. Don't referee to KPIs. Let the game work itself out. Which brings us to our next question from Elise in Brooklyn. I'll let you pose this one, Tony, because right. I think this is the one I'm going to really get stuck okay. In on. Okay.
2: With the factional divide and the refereeing ranks stronger than ever. はい<音楽> How much longer will it be before we have a blow-up from an active referee similar to former referee Chris James's dig at Casey Badger on Twitter over her touchline stuff-up in the recent Melbourne-Cronulla game? Now, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, there was a tweet sent out by Chris James on the 3rd of May after uh, an error by Casey Badger at law over a touchline ruling in the Melbourne-Cronulla game. So much so that he actually pulled the relevant section section nine out of the rule book itself out of the international rules of the game and posted that section word for word verbatim up on twitter simply saying for those playing from home the rule book states
1: and we're going to quote this and we are reading word for word the ball is in touch when it or a player in contact with it touches the touchline or the ground beyond the touchline or any object or outside the touchline except when a player, tackled in the field of play, steps into touch as he regains his feet, in which case he shall play the ball in the field of play. End quote. Yep. This is where that That touch judge... That is section nine, touch and goal, uh, paragraph one. This is where you get the factional divide demonstrating the incompetence because that touch judge was named by Tony. I'm making it my policy now not to name them anymore because I don't want to give them the satisfaction Mm. of hearing their name anymore. This is factionalism writ large because you get referees now, and we had another one in Wentworthville versus Glebe last year in the Ron Massey Cup prelim final, who is a beneficiary of the factionalism, They make these howlers. These are not things that are missed. Although, at least in Damien Brady's case, you could say maybe he's in a bad position and he misheard the touch judge. Mm, Maybe. That's the best... That's the best defence I can come up with for Damian Brady, if I'm trying to defend what he did last year. You're defending the indefensible there, but anyway. It is in... Well, this one's more indefensible. Because it's a clear line of sight, no more than two metres. And it's an error at law. Yes, it is an error at law, because the rulebook explicitly states you can stand on the touchline. And every media person knows that rule. Correct. Because every media person was very quick to jump up and down and make a case of it. This is what happens when you get factions, though. Because a few weeks before, Grant Atkins, in. Townsville with Gavin Badger. Yep. Belinda Sleeman, or Belinda Sharp as she's referred to now, and there was another touch judge as well. Did not report an injury to Grant Atkins. Yep. North Queensland blew up about it. That's right. The response was, Grant Atkins goes back to the pocket, Gavin goes back to reserve grade, and the two touches get dropped. Belinda Sleeman, after that touch judging, in quotation marks, error, unquote, was sent back to Q Cut, where she was supposed to referee and did a touch line instead. After... This other female referee makes this screw-up on the touchline. She goes back to Canterbury Cup. And you said it yourself, Tony. You have not seen Todd Smith, who was the lead referee in that game, yep. come off staring daggers that much. When
2: you Well, really actually, have... not only staring <clears throat> daggers. He was just looking straight ahead... And walking off with a you know a, a, a grumpy, stumpy chicken look about him. Actually, he wanted to have nothing to do with anyone. In fact, he wanted to be out of there at halftime. He was a very angry man. And when you and I know, if you referee angry, that anger takes over and it mm-hmm. affects your calling and it affects yes. your decision making and it affects your refereeing. That's right.
1: And this is what happens when you don't hold referees accountable because of factions. And there are two distinct factions. And everybody knows it because Graham Annesley basically had to go in and say that he was putting the nepotism claims to bed. There is a Sutton faction and a non-Sutton faction. We know this because Gerard got the grand final last year and Matt Checkin was all set to go to England before he had a visa problem with the British government. Matt Checkin is clearly the leader of the non-Sutton faction. Yes. And you can tell by the appointments week in, week out, who's where. The only person I would question as to where they are at the moment is Grant Atkins. Because Gavin Badger got sacked as part of the Sutton faction, but Atkins was merely demoted within first grade as part of maybe the
2: non-Sutton faction. I don't know where he sits. But what's also happening is that Annesley has made a distinct call to combine referees from the different factions and put them together. And we saw what happened in North Sydney versus Western Suburbs at Canterbury Cup when that happened. Absolutely. So, you know, in answer to the original question um, about do the factions exist, etc. The factions exist. How long until we get a blow How long do we get a blow up look there are very strict penalties for active referees who come out and criticise others (laughs) Uh, they can lead to losing your refereeing ticket etc etc I don't think it'll get that far However, however the Chris James tweet is not going to be the last about Casey Badger.
1: Chris James was always part of the non-Sutton faction and that was reflected in his appointments. Adam Devchich from North Sydney, he was also part of the non-Sutton faction and he never went anywhere. You can tell who's in the factions and who's not by the appointments. Ben Cummins sort of sits on the precipice because he was about to take over (laughs) and then all of a sudden, well, you've refereed with Ben Cummins. I think he's got his own problems in terms Mm. of on-field attitude towards players but underneath that, I think there is an exceptional referee just wanting to break out. Yep. How long until it happens? Well, I don't know whether it will happen, but Luke Phillips certainly had some interesting oh, things to say not yes. that long ago yes. about the factionalism, and that's why he left the refereeing ranks. Luke Patton is no longer a member of Correct. the video refereeing ranks. He's back playing on the South Coast and working in the coal mines. Yes, that, that tells you all you need to know. Would you rather be a video referee in the Sutton system or work down the coal mines? Luke Patton chose the coal mines. That, that's a pretty ugly indictment for what refereeing has become
2: under the Sutton regime. The best administrators have been the dictators in the history of rugby league, going all the way back to S. George Ball, etc. And frankly, the best referees administrators have been the hard-nosed men and women who haven't taken much rubbish in their respective uh, areas and in from their respective... Uh, off-field groups, so maybe thread, we maybe we need another dictator now to lay down the law. Is honestly that dictator? I I'm think not the common sure. Common thread
1: with the refereeing administrators as well. The really good ones were the ones that said, "This is how we're doing it." To the coaches, Yep. and they said, "Stuff you! If you don't like it, you can go and coach in England." Because yep. this is how we're refereeing the game. This is where we're, we're getting on with it. That's it. And if you don't like the referee's call, bad luck. Move on. That's all there is. I think we've spent more than enough oh, time on yes. that. Absolutely. So let's move along. And this is one that we'll also get to in the second half when we bring everybody else in, but we yep. thought... Refereeing is just going to take up so much time that we're just going to get that out of the way and we're going to kick things off. Yep. Then we'll bring the rest of the boys in for the second half of the show. Absolutely. So this one is going to be touched on a bit later on. And it comes from Mick from Taramara And it's quite appropriate. Taramara the heart of rugby territory. Oh, yes. Can the Wallabies do anything at the World Cup in the wake of the Israel Folau? What do you want
2: to refer to it? A fair situation, disaster, cluster, whatever. I'll let you begin on this one. Well, in short, doubtful. Frankly, doubtful. They've got a reasonably soft draw. Their one big game is against Wales, who've had the wood on the Wallabies over the last couple of years. If they win that match, they can avoid the All Blacks and the Springboks in the quarter, and possibly even the semi-finals, depending on results elsewhere. But if they can't win that critical group game against Wales, they will crash out of the Rugby World Cup at a screaming heap. If they win that match, they're through to the quarterfinals and who knows what may happen from there. That's how tight the margins are. As for whether there'll be anyone caring outside of the sporting community, who knows? (laughs) TBA, TBC. But in short, probably not. They'll make the quarterfinals. They'll get out of the group, if only just, but that's going to be as far as it goes. In terms of what the Wallabies face
1: on the back of the Israel Folau affair, I don't think it just comes down to Israel Folau because what we see on the Wallabies at the moment could be a very different beast Mm. to what we end up seeing. What we end up seeing... At the World Cup itself, because if Falau ends up getting sacked, which I have no doubt that he will be, of yep. course, that's basically what they've laid the platform for now, the high-level breach. If he gets sacked, yep. there's no guarantee these Pacific Islander players are going to the World Cup. Now, we've spoken about this before, the whole concept of whites versus Pacific yes. Islanders in terms of how how they are built as athletes, not any other thing how they perform as athletes you've got your skilled players who for the most part will be white occasionally you will get the odd outlier with the likes of Genya and Gregan but you find that the Pacific Islanders are better as the running working players because they are naturally stockier they are naturally faster they are more talented athletes not necessarily footballers and to that
2: end you have to ask yourself one question where was the last great Maori 5'8 or halfback for any nation who? Hmm. yes silence is dead on that yeah. one. There are plenty
1: of great rugby players and rugby league players from the Pacific Islands. They are great fullbacks. They are great forwards, running forwards. They are great front rowers. They are great three-quarters. Yep. But the playmakers in the halves the closest you might be getting is Carlos Spencer or Dan yep. Carter they identify as Maury, probably Carlos Spencer well just listen to those names we're not talking the names like the Lomus and the Tormungas and the but even so Carlos Spencer like was
2: <clears throat> very much hot and cold at his best in the first half of 2003 he looked as though he was the man in the rugby world cup tournament itself barely raised a whimper when it mattered most
1: I don't think the Wallabies are going to do anything I don't think they were doing anything even with Falau. and we've been through ad the problems that Rugby Australia has in terms of its administration. I think the administrative problems at Rugby Australia have been crystallised by the Israel Falau of oh, yes. because it demonstrates the rank administrative incompetence that they have at Rugby Australia, not understanding how the game works. I'm no fan of Alan Jones from 2GB but when it comes to the
2: problems that Rugby Australia has at an admin level I think he's hit the nail on the head. He certainly has he's a polarising <clears throat> figure but he's made a lot of sense with some of the mm. things he said about Falau and about Australian rugby. And look, you can't question his credentials at the end of the day as the nope. last Grand Slam winning coach. Look, I think it will get worse before it gets better for Australian rugby, and that could start by not making the quarterfinals this time. I think they'll scrape in, but the lost all chance of finishing top of the pool. Totally agree. What's our next question, Tony? All right, then. To all from Tom of Warrawee, should Brisbane bid for the 2032 Olympic Games? This is, of course... I'm sorry. Light- so, who, who should be bidding for the 2032 Brisbane, Olympics? Brisbane. Oh. Bidding for the 2032 Olympic Games. Well, um. <laughs> look, that's in the light of Thomas Bark, the IOC president, becoming yeah. the first yeah. IOC president to visit an AOC AGM last weekend in Sydney, and his visits to Brisbane and speaking with various mayors all on the Sunshine Coast etc. over the last week about discussing a bid. What you've got to remember is that we're going to big major world cities from now on in for at least the next three Olympics. Mm. Tokyo, Paris, LA. All three are big cities. All three have hosted the Olympic Games before. So they'll make the most of those uh, those times now which means that the next available Olympic Games is 2032. And look Brisbane have made the right noises so far. Thomas Bach has made the right noises so far, but I want to see this program take some fruition over the next 18 months and see if it's still in the prime position for 2032, remembering that those rights don't go up until 2025, six years' time. And at the moment, Brisbane is the only city to officially put their hand up.
1: That's true. I'm sure you'll get other cities wanting to have a crack in the future, but when you look at the sporting infrastructure in Brisbane... Okay, they have a facility for soccer. Lang Park, obviously, is just a no-brainer. And then yep. they'll probably do what Sydney did and then take those games further afield and play a couple in Townsville because they'll have a new football stadium. Yep. Next season, yep. I think it's about a 30,000 capacity mm-hmm. stadium for the Cowboys. And you've still got Rabina on the Gold Coast, which is still waiting to sell out another game since I think the Titans made the prelim yep, final that's right. all those many years ago. Yes. Where else do they go? Well, QE2 is going to have to come down because that, that thing is not fit for major events anymore. I know it holds 62,000, but just the way it's set up, it's just a terrible setup. Yeah. And they need to fix that they got infrastructure things that they're going to have to take on, and there's a lot that goes into an Olympic Games. And in terms of some of the things that the Queensland State Government is facing at the moment... I'm not getting political, but they're not doing as well on the things that Queenslanders want them to do as they otherwise might. This is where they're going to run into some problems. Mm. They, they're going to have to pour in a big investment. I don't know where the money comes from. Whether well, the, the, IOC, government's got
2: well, to well the IOC have said they're going to contribute
1: $1.6 Yeah, but the IOC in terms of putting money into other causes and other coffers, we saw what the IOC was prepared to contribute at the Winter Games to get the ice hockey guys on site from the NHL. When they told the NHL, you're going to be paying your own insurance for these players anyway. These guys aren't aren't playing in our competition. You want us to pay their insurance? Yes, we do. So the NHL told them to go and take a leak up a rope. Yep, absolutely. So,
2: look, there's a lot of water to flow under the ridge between now and around the year 2025 because that's when the 2032 Olympic City will be announced. However, if Brisbane are the only team to, or the only city to nominate, well, then it's off to Brisbane we go. The, the sweetest word
1: in the English language, according to Homer Simpson, default, default, default. If you want my answer in a word, I'm saying, well, I can't say it in a word because I would say no with a but rather than yes with an if. So I'm leaning towards yep. the no camp at the moment, but we'll see where we go with that. We've almost reached the halfway point, so yep. we got a question for you, Tony, because this one I have no idea. Oh, I know okay. we're going to get to this in the second half All right. When Everybody's going to have a crack. Yep. And this is from Andrew, and this featured on our Facebook page. He yes. was the only one to actually post on the post. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Who's in your Cricket World Cup 11? In what order
2: and why? Okay, are we talking an Australian 11 here? I would say Australian so. Australian team. Okay, well, look, here's my team for game one based on all that's gone on. You're going to open up with Warner and Finch. Now, they do provide experience and hitting power at the top of the order. Warner's form, even though in the practice games against New Zealand was a bit iffy, his IPL form was outstanding. I'd have Usman Khawaja at three on sheer weight of runs, and Steve Smith would then bat in his preferred position at number four. This is where it gets a bit murky for the positions five, six, seven, and eight, because you want power hitters at these at this level of the middle order, and you want these power hitters to accelerate the scoring to the 350, 360, 370, 380 that I think's going to be par on these small postage stamps of grounds in this cricket world cup particularly at the back end of the tournament when the sun is warmer and the ball won't be swinging around a bit. So, I'm going to go with Glenn Maxwell at number 5. He can be a floater anywhere in the order. He is still the most devastating middle order batsman in white ball cricket today. Selectors seem to be stuck On Marcus Stoinis, they rate him greatly. To me, he's only come off once in a match against New Zealand when he came into the side a couple of years ago and he scored a brilliant 100 on debut. He hasn't quite reached those levels yet. It's, uh, but he'll be in the squad. But he wouldn't be in 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 my uh, first uh, eleven for for game one. I'd probably go maybe Hanscom as your keeper at number six, and then you've got uh, possible spinning options of Zampa and Lion at uh, uh, down the order, and that will depend on whether you play the three quicks. Of Stark, of Kane Richardson, who's now in for Jai Richardson, who will be a a, a a sad withdrawal. He will be missed in the World Cup. He has that little bit of extra bounce. And then you've got Hazelwood. Will he be kept for uh, the Ashes series, or will he be uh, inserted in? Uh, and then you've got Pat Cummins, who can bat anywhere in the order as well as bowl at 150 clicks. So after Maxwell at five, I've got Handscomb at six. I'll give Stoyness a chance at seven for game one, but with a question mark. And then that leaves you Stark at eight, Cummins at nine. I'd go Hazelwood at 10, ahead of Kane Richardson. And Nathan Lyon is my spinner at number 11 because his experience will count for plenty. And I think he can go for a far more economical run rate per over ahead of Adam Zampa who would be my 12th man.
1: I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about so I'm just going to go with what Tony said because as you know cricket is not on my list of sports that I know much about that brings us to the end of your contribution Sultan. Thank you we thought we'd get that done because we thought refereeing would take up a lot of time and it it did. did but thank you for joining us on this very special birthday edition of Splinters we'll go outside we'll get you some cake we'll get the other guys in
2: make sure you leave some for them though. Oh look I've got to keep a very close eye on my figure these days it's ballooning out like Humpty Dumpty. So I'll just limit myself to one slice, even if it's a thick one, and one slice only. <laughs> we got plenty more.
1: we got plenty of soccer. we got plenty of cricket. We may veer back to rugby league in the second half, depending on what the boys want to talk about, but it's going to be a bumper second half of splinters. Don't miss it, and it's coming up next. It's time to hit the ice. This weekend, your Sydney Bears host a doubleheader at the Macquarie Ice Rink in North Ryde as the Melbourne Mustangs come to town on Saturday, May 18th, with the Melbourne Ice arriving on Sunday, May On Hero Night in the Australian Ice Hockey League Gates open at 4.30 with puck drop at 5pm Tickets start at just $25 for adults and $12 for kids With children under 5 free Save time and book online at bearsden.com.au With your special bench promo code or pay at the gate Sydney Bears, hear us roar Sponsors of Triple H Welcome back to Splinters on Triple H, 100.1 FM, triplehfm.com.au. And you can also download us at podcasts.com, Spotify, TuneIn, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. We're taking over the podcast world. Keith Topolsky, the Lord Mayor of Leichhardt, with you on this very special edition. Our baby is six months old today, and we're all very happy parents. And Tony's shuffled out of the studio. He's enjoying the birthday cake outside. And in the studio now, we've brought in the heavyweights. Anthony Caruso's under lock and key. Roxy wouldn't let him out. And Dom Rizzuto, well, apparently you need to have working use of both legs to be able to talk. I don't know how that works. But (laughs) joining us to discuss all things football, all things cricket, all things rugby, even Olympics. The Canberra kid has returned from exile. Jack Aquilina,
3: what's doing? Hello, hello, everyone. It's been a long, long time between drinks for us, but look, looking look forward to be back and uh, looking forward to seeing you blokes again because it's been a long time and. Uh Missed it. Also joining us, here's the hat rack, the wearer of many hats. He's collapsing under the weight of all the
4: hats. Manly's favourite son, our own Warringah rat Shane Evans. G'day guys, listeners, yeah, looking forward to celebrating six months. Who would have thought of it? Six months ago we thought we'd try this, see how we go and Doesn't feel like six months, are we gonna be honest? No, it
1: doesn't. We've well, only been on one. Like one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Still it's two. Two. Yes, yeah, two, sorry. Also joining us, you did hear the voice and as yeah. soon as he walked in the studio. All he did was wanted to whinge and complain. He's the seer. He's the sage. He's the myth. He's the wise man. He's our merchandise
0: manager. He is Matt Mears. Well, hello, Keith. Hello, everybody. To be on the six-month anniversary, episode 26, I can remember going back to the first episode. How many versions of episode one is there, Keith, by the way? There's only
1: one. No. Because, because the <laughs> the version 1.01 was what went to air. Because version 1.0 was never recorded. And whose fault was that? Well, technically it's mine because the recording (laughs) software didn't work. So I downloaded extra software and was extra cautious from that moment on. And since then, we haven't had a cock up. So we're we're due for one
0: now, which I'm I'm worried about. Jinxing it for us. But no, it's great to be here six months through and uh, to be able to answer... Fans from the people that are downloading us and and tuning into us, so that's that's probably what I'm looking forward to the most is getting the feedback. A lot of the times we get to talk about what we like to talk about, which is what most podcasts are. But to get the feedback from the people mm-hmm. and ask the burning questions that they have, I can't wait. Well,
1: let's get into it because we did have some questions. And the reason Tony has stepped out is because we just let rip with referees, and I'm sure they'll yeah, yeah, give few... him a timeout. <laughs> well, yeah, it is a timeout. Timeout
0: so... or a valium? Well,
1: that too. That I think we laced his slice of the cake with Valium. Was
0: there, was there some left after after your performance at uh, North Sydney Oval two weeks ago? Yes, there was. <laughs> but that was because we ordered a second pack and I only just <laughs> got into the second pack.
1: But we'll kick things off. Well, we won't actually kick things off. We'll have the first ball. because you're all cricketers and you're all cricket fans. And this was Tony's last question in the first half. And this is going to be your first question in the second half. This is from Meese's mate Andrew who posted on our Facebook post... Everybody else sent his Facebook messages, but he posted on the actual post asking for questions. We'll start with Musi.
0: Who's in your Cricket World Cup 11? What's the order and why? Well, obviously, we all know, we've all seen, you've got the return of Dave Warner and Steve Smith. They're obviously going to be rushed straight back in. Even with Dave Warner's questionable form against New Zealand in the warm-up games, so, in order, I'd have to say, well, Aaron Finch is the captain. He stays at the top of the order. You'd have to have Warner with him. You, you, I can't really see another place for him. They did try him at three in
3: one of the practice games. So He's perhaps, also better at four as well in international cricket.
0: Yeah, that could be an option. Yeah. But I, I think you'll you'll see him open at least to start the competition. Usman Khawaja deserves a place, so I see him at three. But maybe that could be the swap if, if nothing's doing there. We, you can open with Usman. Put Warner to three. Steve Smith at four, obviously. Then you get into the all-rounders. I don't have a place for for Sean Marsh just because of the, the weight of all-rounders that, that I want to pick. I want to have the Stoin, Marcus Stoinis. He should be at five. Glenn Maxwell. He's a, he's a lock at number six. Then, obviously, you need the vice captain. You need a keeper, Alex Carey at number seven, then we get to the bowlers I think three pick themselves, you've got Mitchell Stark, you've got Pat Cummins, you've got Adam Zampa then one more to round it out, you'd probably look at Berendorf perhaps or maybe he might be saved unless um, Mitchell Stark's not playing, if not it'll be Nathan Coulton-Isle, obviously Jai Richardson injured um, and having to pull out of the tournament he would have been my 11th. Well there's a
1: few different names to what Tony Dosen suggested, he had Hanscom he had Nathan Lyon
0: in the team as well, well, Nathan Hanscom, Peter Hanscom's not even in the World Cup squad Well, there, there could be like
4: changes So what are your thoughts? Shane, where, where does your World Cup 11 go? Well, I'm going to differ to Mirzi, obviously Aaron Finch, definitely starting at the top I'd put Kawaji in at two I'd put Warner in at three In the couple of trials that we saw in New Zealand Against New Zealand up at Allen Borderfield He actually seemed to play a little bit better When he wasn't able to face that white ball straight away Steve Smith is a lay down Mazzere at four I'm like you, Mirzi you gotta have Stoinis and Maxwell. I would have both of them float, whether at five or six for both of them. I'd obviously have to have Alex Carey coming in at seven. Then you then you pick your pick your bowlers. You probably I'd probably end up going with probably maybe Starkey or Cummins in at eight, the other one at nine, have Nathan Lyon. Come in at ten and then probably Kane Richardson coming in at eleven to replace the other Richardson. So but yeah, it's a fluid lineup but that would definitely have to be a top four. I can't see anyone else deserving to get pushed up unless you're playing a minnow side and you're chasing where you could probably promote Alex Carey up to one and open him up alongside Finch just to try and get a good run runway quotient.
3: Yeah, so, uh, look, I'm pretty similar to me, as in my batting order, i probably say say the same Finch Warner, Kawaja, Smith. And then um, th- that top four, that's a lock, and that in that order. But um, I'm I'm a little bit hesitant to play both Stoinis and Maxwell. I get you've got to roll through your bowlers. You know Finch can buy a little bit, but he's also he's a bit of a last resort. I'm tempted to throw Sean Marsh in there, probably at five. Um, he's 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 a world class bat. He's always got runs. He struggles a little bit in the UK, but he's quite good at at. at and settling in and if you get a bit of a collapse at the top of the order you never know with, with those top three you never know if they're going to get 100 or they're going to get none you, get, you could come out at 3 for 7 you could come out at 3 for 700, you just don't know really, but someone like that who can stick in or get runs I prefer that, whereas Glenn Maxwell he only gets, he doesn't I, I, I've never rated Glenn Maxwell that highly, short form yes, you got to have him in there, he's a very, very a uh, good person that, that come in and hit a lot of runs quickly, but if the water shakes, I'm, you know, I'm always hesitant when he comes out because he's got that ability to play a dumb shot, get out cheaply, and so does Stony. So I, I, I'm tempted to put Sean Mush in there at five and then have, you know, that... The Maxwell or Stoiners, depending on the day, it's overcast, it's swinging a little bit, pace, pitch to play, pace bowling, you play Stoiners. If not, you play Maxwell. I'd have the same. I'd have four pace bowlers and if it's that kind of weather, or and then I'd have line in instead of uh, probably Kane Richardson. I'd have line in if they'd, if you know the deck uh, is a little bit apparent to, uh, to spin bowling. So, But yeah, otherwise, I'm pretty similar to Measy. So there's a bit of conflict there. Not necessarily, well, certainly not in the top of the batting order, but maybe what spin you're using, whether it's Lion or it's Zampa or... The, the issue's the middle order. Whether you're going to go with five batsmen or two all-rounders and four batsmen, that's your issue. And look, Australia, they can get to, you know, play, as Shane said, a sort of a, a tier two country and play. You could play five batsmen or four batsmen and two all-rounders and give one a crack and well, I, carry at the
0: top. The well, or... question without notice then, would, if you did play either Maxwell or Stoinis and not both, is Finch's overs enough? Have we We've seen enough from Steve Smith bowling in the tournaments like we saw him bowl a bit in the Kingsgrove T20 Cup and and did well. We've seen him bowl a few other things. That's maybe something he could have worked on in his year off. Would he be up to being that sixth bowler that most international teams need just to make up the overs these days?
3: He probably could. Um, I've always liked watching Steve Smith bowl. He does, you know, he does create chances. He's one of those ones where you come in in there, you know, get the credit card out maybe buy a wicket. Same with in Fiji He always seems to jag a wicket somehow because he's just, he's not, you know, batsman coming in there used to ball, people bowling good line, good length and trying to trying to almost um, tease them out, whereas Finch just throws it up and goes, you're going to get yourself out here. Um, and same with Smith. They sort of get themselves out. And you, Look, probably probably not. You, you can't rely on the six-bowler like Aaron Finch or Steve Smith to give you eight good overs. But, you know, I, I, look, I, I would like to pick my 11 on conditions. I don't like to pick my 11 before I get there. that makes mm-hmm. sense? So, look, you can find Horses you can in. for
0: horses. Yeah. Horses for courses. Yeah, that's it. Well,
3: stick
1: with cricket just for a moment because we do have another question. This comes from Sophie from Cherrybrook. What effect do you think the Cricket Australia stuff up with Warner and Smith will have on the game at
3: a grassroots level in the longer term. We'll start with you, Jake. Great question. Uh, grassroots level. Someone like Steve Smith, who's so well respected and so well known, and someone who everyone looks up to. You know, it probably would have an effect on people uh, and the way they play the game. Maybe, but it, I haven't heard anything on the contrary. Whether whether it's say, oh, I don't, I don't like Steve anymore. I'm not going to play cricket because of Steve Smith. I don't think long term. I don't think this will affect growth or the way the game is being played or the way the game has been umpired or looked upon in the long term because i think now now the year's done their suspension's done you don't need to go keep revisiting it long term but i think david warner he's always divided opinions in people i've always been a huge fan of his and always had a lot of respect for him but you know some other people are in the opposite side of the fence to me they they really don't like him and i think he may have lost a lot of fans uh in the short term but i think in the long term the game's still going to grow and I don't think this one incident you can't focus on this one incident and and it, you know, sort of change the way you think of a game long term.
4: The hat rack. Well you keep talking about Grassroots, so we're talking the young kids, like up to the age of ten. Most of them probably don't even fully comprehend what actually happened on that day back in South Africa. So they would just look at David Warner and Steve Smith and saying, "Okay, yeah, they've been taken away from their vision for for twelve months, if anything." I know myself and Mezy, we were talking about this off off air, and I agree. So you're Stealing all my ideas? Okay. No, no, I'm actually going to agree with yours. They should have been going overseas. Well, that yeah, that was that was my point
0: was that the vision like we were we were fortunate enough to call. Man- Manly versus Sutherland at Manly Oval, the first round of the, or the first match day of the Kingsgrove T20 Cup. And the way Steve Smith conducted himself that day, yes, he got himself into, well, he didn't get himself in any trouble. There was an investigative, in quotation marks, journalist that tried to make trouble for him after the fact, but we won't go into that. But the way he conducted himself with the fans, he sat out front of of the pavilion there at Manly Oval and every person that wanted a signature, a photo, or the like of anything or a moment of his time he was more than happy to accept mm. and it was a brilliant sight to see everybody lined up there and he had a smile on his face the whole time we could see him from our commentary position that was the perfect thing but as we were talking about off air Shane what you're saying about going overseas was a problem we didn't get enough of that if they were if they were being punished in quotation marks well then that's what they should be doing more of they should have been out in the community more perhaps but they were. had to play for Winnipeg
1: in the Canadian competition playing for Winnipeg I think is probably punishment enough but,
0: that, but he's in Canada. What's he doing for cricket in Australia? He, he, he. he, Those two are the guys that when young kids that age look on the TV and want to watch cricket they're who they, who they expect to see yeah the guys just got a bucket loads of runs and go I want to play like that exactly and that, that was taken away from those kids for 12 months so then if they're not going to be on that stage then they should be there in the flesh what's stopping them going to, to more trainings to more games like that holding fan sessions during the school holidays and having the Steve Smith Clinic at the SCG can you imagine if like in the October school holidays they had the Steve Smith Cricket Coaching Clinic at the SCG and then have all the clubs there with the sign-up forms afterwards, they would have packed out the stadium. I just think that obviously they were thinking too much about the lost earnings and Cricket Australia not wanting to be responsible for all the lost earnings that they were not going to have playing for Australia. So they went, yep, the rules say you can go play, go play, get your money. But I think an opportunity was lost with the kids so rather than them seeing them on TV, that they were available in the flesh for them.
3: I have to agree with you with that with the grassroots play stuff, but at the end of the day, it's their job. They've got to make money. They were, they'd be still making money. The, they, they can get signed to other
0: deals. They can get signed to coaching you get, contracts. You can get signed to like an ambassador
3: for like the Sixers or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Like
4: Stephen Swift did. He, 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 was the, he was the team ambassador for the Sydney Sixers. He played 99% of the Sydney Premier Cricket. He played all the Kingsgrove T20 competition. He only went across once he knew that the T20 competition had finished. So he wanted to give everything he could back to the club, played every day where he could. He ended up coaching, I think it was the under-16s Telegraph Shield or, or whatever, or one of those junior... Shield, co- yeah. One, one of those competition sides for the Sutherland Club and did his, did some coaching work through there. But yeah. David Warner basically said, okay, fine. If I can't play here in Australia, I'm gone. I don't he, he,
3: he
4: went to he went to Canada, Global T20. He went to the Bangladeshi T20 comp. He went to the Bangladeshi T10 competition. He just wanted to make as much money as he could where Steve Smith actually realized, yeah, I've made a major mistake. I need to be able to get back in. Also the same with Cameron Bancroft. He did the exact same thing. He stayed around for as long as he could before, okay, yeah, in the last couple months before his suspension finished, he moved over to England. And now he's captaining a Division One side well, in the county Bencroft championship there. Bancroft was a bit
0: different. He, he was able to get back to play the big bash. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably where they missed out a, a trick as well. Imagine having Steve Smith play for the Sixers and Davey Warner playing for the Thunder. Every single game of the year. They, every yeah. every every ground would have been packed. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think we've covered it there, Keith, with just the fact that I think they did a bit... They could have done a lot more for grassroots. We're already
1: into the championship rounds and we've still got three questions remaining. Hopefully we can get through them all. One that did come in and we'll start with Shane here because this is your sport of expertise at the moment with your role with the Green Rats. This comes from Mick of Taramura, Like we said earlier, it's not Kiwi Mick. He lives a bit further south. But Mick from Taramura asks, can the Wallabies do
4: anything at the World Cup in the wake of the Israel Folau affair? There's going to be one or two ways. All the, all the players of Pacific as they now call themselves, or the Pacific Islands, they've they're standing in solidarity with his Falau. allow They're assuming that he will get back. Okay, yeah, they may fine him, they may suspend some of his wages, they may end up giving some of those wages through suspension to some of some of the charities that he's or supposedly offended, and do it that way. But look at the other way. If they decide to terminate his contract, we're talking $4 million deal here. We've already seen Asics give him the heave-ho. There's a very good chance you'll see all the Pacifica players also walk with him in solidarity. If that's the case, then Australia are really going to struggle to put up a respectable 23-man squad to take to the World Cup because you look through that starting lineup from the last test, out of the 23 players, there were 17 Pacifica players in that side. All you had was Michael Hooper... um, I think there was yeah Dane Hannah Petty, you had Bernard Foley. Bernard Foley, Nick Phipps coming off the bench. Kelly Beale. No, a, he's yeah, original, yeah, yeah, sorry. So there was one other that I can't think of at the moment. But yeah, but literally ninety percent of that Rex side Hodge. is yeah. Another one. And but literally the rest of the side is of the Pacific Island background and that will do the same thing. They'll rip all of the Queensland Premier Rugby apart rip apart all the shield rugby because all the players will just sit there and go, you know what? Stuff is all. We're not playing. He comes back in, then we'll come back. Or You want to take it into hockey terms? It's almost like having a having a losing a season to a strike. That's literally what would happen. That
1: has happened in the NHL before. Don't know whether we'll lose a Super Rugby season to a strike, but Jake, I know you were pretty keen to get stuck into this one. What can the Wallabies do at the World Cup if anything? Given that it looks as though now that Flau's been done for. A high-grade breach,
3: according to the hearings panel, that he's probably is on the way out. Yeah, look, if he if if he's on the way out, which you look, it is looking more likely now that he is on the way out, I think as 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 a as, as much of a good player as he is, I think he can be replaced, as anyone can be, and an, at. And this is going to be a bit of a controversial opinion when we're, we're no strangers a controversial opinion here but I, I think recently, especially in the last 18 months, he's been nowhere near as good as he was when he first came to Rugby Union. Nowhere near. He's he's really struggled. Uh, you know, a lot of media attention and all that kind of stuff. might have got to his head a little bit but he really struggled. He's lucked a little bit in defence. He's lacked a little bit in attack. He's sort of, you know, they've sort of shifted him in and around. He's playing him on the wing. They've played him in the fullback. You know, they bring him off the bench or whatever. They play Kelly Beale at 15 and he's looking quite good. You can play a is Hodge at 15, he's looking very good, and I think for mine. Uh, the thing about the Wallabies is every four years, and I don't know how they do this, they always kick up another gear or two. Always, they could. The, the The previous World Cup, they made the final against New Zealand and took them to the end. After having the worst rep- um, preparation campaign, I think ever. And, you know, they and they can do it again this year. I, I don't know what it is about checks. He always seems to get them up for a World Cup, and I think the squad will be boosted with the guys like Christian Leliofano If he, he, you know, if Shane is right, and they are talking about those Pacifica players walking away, I've not I've not heard much about that. But you know, those guys are obviously a big loss. But I think the issue coming in is your inside is your inside back. So your 9, 10, 12 is where you're gonna the Wallabies are gonna be an issue. I think the outside back. Um are pretty much a, a lock. You've got Haylip Petty, you've got, there's a couple of young wingers coming through and uh, Reese Hodge and Curly Bill all play outside back. Kurandrani could play outside back mm. as well. So they're pretty much locked in. It's your inside. Who's going to play nine? Who's going to play 10? And who's going to play 12? Are they going to pick Genia, Cooper, Fano at 12? Are going to put Fano at Ten, and then they're going to put, you know, uh, there's rumours of like Ashley Cooper and stuff being picked again to play in the World Cup. So, um, who's going to play nine? No, is it going to be Phipps? Is it going to be Genia? Is it going to be um, Nick White? Is it going to be the uh, the young bloke from the Rebels whose name escapes me? What um, will Genia? Oh, oh yeah, he's in the Rebels now, isn't he? Will my Genia followers. and Quade Cooper playing the Rebels? Uh, they do. Rebels. Sorry, yeah, yes, yeah. you know, there's there's so many options there. So I think I think the Wallabies will do okay. They always do okay in the World Cup. So that's my opinion there. Well said. Uh, I agree with Jake. One man doesn't. make a team, I'd be...
0: As much as as much as all the other stars have come out and say that they'd walk with um, in solidarity, I don't think that'll end up happening. At the end of the day, I do. I just think that, yeah, as Jake said, they'll they they'll be able to fill the gap. Will they be as good? Maybe not, but maybe it might have a bit more unity to the team. They might play a little bit better. They might be a little bit more gelled without the distractions there. But at the end of the day, Fallout went against what his employers wanted, and I can say if we did something similar at our nine-to-five jobs, we wouldn't be we'd be having the same ramifications, so I think that if Australia's going to go well, they'll do the same with or without him.
1: Moving along to something a bit out of the box here, and Tony and I touched on this in the first half, from Tom of Warrawee, should Brisbane bid for the 2032 Olympic
0: Games, music? No. Why not? What benefit is there for Brisbane to, to host them?
4: Shane? i got to agree, what is there when you look at it, you've, you've got QE2 or the old, the old lane park, which no, is the old ANZ, yeah. sorry which is what Brisbane Broncos used to use as their training base before they moved to Red Hill. It's a really old stadium. That's back from the 82 Commonwealth Games. It hasn't had any upgrades. All it is is the Queensland Academy of Sports Athletics Field where they hold the national championships there. Apart from that, what other ground in Queensland or in Brisbane itself can you see going to put yourself down a league's track? I can't see the gabble. The Gabba authorities letting anything down there. There's no other major field there. They're not going to take it all the way up to North Queensland into the New Townsville
3: Stadium because that's going to be rectangular. So that's going to rule that out. No, I wouldn't. Well they can take it to the Gold Coast where they had the Com Games recently. And, yeah, and Metricon. But I, I, but I don't, I don't see the benefit to holding it in Brisbane. You know, if they can, they can. Barely, the, the bloody, um, someone called barely held together for eight games of rugby league. How is it going to work together for two weeks of, of any sport? If you're going to do any Olympics here in Australia, if anything, I'd be
4: really weird and I'd take it across to Perth. I'd stick it in Optus, at Optus Stadium. Have the athletics field in there because when you see most of the athletics, or the AFL fields, the 15 metres from the fence to the actual playing surface is already synthetic grass. So it isn't too hard to be able to lay the running track around over the top of it. A.K.A. Okay, yeah, might need to be tweaked slightly, obviously, for the, for the side straights. But you could probably do that there. You've got a couple of good soccer stadiums out there With where the Perth Glory play at HBF Stadium out there. You could also use the Wacker, because it's still available as a sporting arena. You play basketball out of Burrswood. You do the tennis at Burrswood. you got a nice aquatic centre out there. If Australia's going to go for one, I'd take
0: it to Perth. I actually don't mind that option. I think with Brisbane, they'd have to spend too much money to make it economically viable. I think with Perth, they've got it there. And Perth could be somewhere that they can entice people to come. It's now one trip from London all the way to Perth. Those sort of things. I just think, yeah, Brisbane. I don't see the benefit of them having it. Maybe a Perth would would benefit
3: from them. I think they would benefit more than Brisbane. It's also at least. Per- sorry to interrupt, but at least Perth's got the infrastructure there now, as you no. said.
4: Yeah, but it's also when you think about it for rugby teams, you go Sydney, Perth, like South Africa. Perth should stop. That would make it a lot better for the team. Countries coming over from that side of the world too.
3: I think. I think. Sorry. But I think realistically, uh, as, you know, you made some good points about Perth. Like realistically, if you're going to hold an Olympics soon, the only place really, realistically, you can hold it is Melbourne. The way that they're set up and the way they've Obviously, they've got all of the, inf- the facilities there, the infrastructure, the transport. Everything's already there. But I... I, I- you know, in the in the, the long run, Perth absolutely could be an option to for an Olympic. And to finish up and you get one minute
1: each for this because we're almost out of time here. This comes from Alan of Warunga. Can the EPL now claim to be the best soccer league on the planet, given that they're providing all four teams for
0: the European club finals, that's the Champions League and Europa League? Mizzy, we start with you, you've got one minute. No,
3: because how many actually English players play in the EPL next? No, I, I think uh, I am with Messi. Too many international players and not enough homegrown talent. If you're looking from a player point of view, no it's not, but if you're looking from a competition point of view, yes, where all where all
4: the other semi-finalists come from. Ajax, through the Dutch Eredivisie, Irediv- you had Barcelona, you had Real Madrid, you had Bayern Munich. They're the top Clubs in their competition, but none of them were able to beat the sides that were playing in the competition. Definitely
3: two miracle wins to bring,
4: yeah, ball, and, and, and bring, you, bring and you and three, three out of four, really.
0: And as I said the country should be viewed on their national team, not their competition, because we all know most sporting competitions these days is no, there's no real homegrown competitions in the major ones. Everybody's playing anywhere where they can get the best payday,
4: pretty much. But yeah. You are right. Liverpool had to come from 3-0 down. You had Chelsea in the Europa League had to come from 2-0 down to win the penalty shootout. You had Tottenham, they were down 3-0 on the second leg and got through the 96-minute winner. But Arsenal was anyone that got through in regulation. But competition-wise, yes, the appeal is the strongest competition at the moment if you can supply... The two major European finals with all four teams.
1: Well, I think we're pretty much done on this episode b- because if we keep going, we're going to run overtime and no one's going to get any birthday cake because Tony will take it all.
0: So I think it's already eaten. <clears throat> I can still see out the studio. He's stuffing the last piece of cake down in his throat.
1: Well, I, I, I think there might be another couple of pieces out there that... Maybe stored
0: away just to make sure that he didn't get to them. But Oh, we can have some of your stash.
4: Well,
1: <laughs> I didn't get a stash because mine was out there too, so... <laughs>
0: they're not, they're, they're not Valium-induced. Oh, here we go. Well, there's so no, we there's no referees or West Tigers playing, so we should be okay. Well, that, that's
1: true. And once you go back and do have a listen to what we said about the referees, you'll... You'll understand that we did get a little bit fired up, and that's why no. we didn't get into too much other you stuff. You and referees, I thought you guys were best mates. Well, we did make some legitimate <laughs> points. Well, you are you are good mates with Todd
4: Smith, but his partner well, he
1: got him he got a plug too, yeah. and that game got a plug as well. Yeah, but he, his partner, that. yeah, I'm not yes. even going to bother it. But Jake, we found you again. We looked you up on the GPS. We got a hold of you. It's been great the having you back. carton worked. Always the carton did work, and hopefully, we see more of you
3: again. Yes, definitely see more of you in the, in the not too distant future. Absolutely. The hat rack, how's the back hole? up with all those hats.
4: Yeah, it's not too bad. Picked up another one on the weekend, doing a bit of Rumbies TV work for the sideline in that Sunwolves game. It was actually quite good To That's why the ratings tanked? <laughs> no, I was actually, was actually able to get some really good interviews with some of the players from both sides. I will try and get them off the Brumby's TV data log and bring them up here and I'll be able to play them on the bench. Something the to look Catholics. forward to. Mewzy, being your pleasure as always?
0: Yeah, speaking with Shane and Jake, it's been great to spend
1: time in the studio with them. <laughs> nice way to turn it around. <laughs> I'm the Lord Man, Keith Topolsky. Been great having you with us on this six-month anniversary birthday edition of Splinters. We got a big bench coming up this week, another Bears interview. I'm not sure who we're getting in yet, but it's going to be another hockey interview. I know you want Brian Funes back. We'll see what we can do with your Mighty Ducks friend now, but that will make two weeks in a row, so we're not quite sure, but
0: we'll see what happens. 45, an hour, hour
4: and a half. You're just taking over the show. Why not? We'll see what we'll see what happens. Great to have the Sydney Bears on board. Have we still got Caruso lined up to be goldberg We are RB. working
1: on that. We are working on that, and hopefully that will happen before the outside broadcast of the Sydney Bears versus the Newcastle North Stars on the 12th of July. We are looking forward to that, and we hope you can join us then. And for plenty more splinters and bench before then, but for now, it's goodbye.